0: Hey, deserving listeners. Today's episode, I'm going to be talking with Bob. And after we recorded the episode, I thought that I got into too many personal things. So I thought I would make this patron only. Sorry about that for you non-patrons. But if you're a non-patron and you want to hear this episode, go to patreon.com, become a patron of the podcast, and you can listen to this episode in its entirety We talk about a lot of things. We talk about the pandemic, uh, rage and masking, and talk about good therapy, as we often do. Me and Bob often get into what is good therapy. We talk about things that we learned from our clients and students and other kinds of things like that. We talk about reporting offenders. I talk about a dream I had. But the, the personal thing that happened was in the middle of the podcast, I received this I don't know, just very angry email from someone and and I, um, <laughs> I don't know, mistakenly decided to read it in the middle of recording, which put me in this mood. And then we went on this whole kind of journey with that. And so I would just, I don't know, I just felt a little too personal. So I thought I would limit the amount of people who listen to it. And that is by making it a patron only podcast. And so everyone out there, if you're not a patron yet, become a patron go to patreon.com you'll get instructions on how to access this episode along with hundreds of other of our best episodes and everyone out there please take care of yourself and take care of others really because we all deserve it we really really do so bob i have a bunch of emails for us to answer what do you say
1: I say let's answer these
0: emails. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Who are you, Bob?
1: I'm a therapist in practice here in Seattle. see couples, individuals, do that DBT class, and been your friend
0: since grad school. Yeah. Yeah. Anonymous Patron says, Hi, Dr. Honda and Bob. I want to get your insight into de-escalating conflict. I'm a retail manager, so most of my days lately are spent talking to upset customers who don't want to sanitize their hands or wear masks. Recently, I was physically intimidated and screamed at by a man who had to be physically restrained by his family and removed from the store because he was angry about our mask policy. I have an obligation to protect my staff and other customers in my shop. How can I de-escalate these conflicts without groveling and demoralizing myself? Every article I read suggests apologizing profusely and expects retail staff to somehow stay above the fray of the emotion. Is this just the price I have to pay for to keep people from verbally assaulting me? Or is there a path I can take where my self-worth doesn't take as much of a hit in this process? I'm hoping this might be helpful for a lot of listeners because I'm sure there are many folks in my position right now. Bob, what do you think? I think this
1: is a timely and fascinating question and I don't think that you have to grovel. I, 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 and I hate that idea that a person would have to. So despite what that article says, I I don't agree with that article about the groveling and the apologizing profusely. The reason it's important not to apologize is because it implies that you are doing something wrong, which is a bad message to give to your own heart and an, an inaccurate message to give to somebody else who's coming into your store the thing that comes to mind is um, validation is a great way to deescalate emotion. If you could think of emotions as stories that need to be told, then when they're heard, when the loop is complete where I'm an angry customer coming into your store, you're making me wear a mask and I'm really pissed off at you. And you're saying, yeah, I get it. You're really mad about this. You think you shouldn't have to do this. You don't want to do it. Right. And I don't, some of that might be okay. Anyways, but what you're doing is you're letting the person know that you're hearing the story of emotion and that helps motion go down. And then the other thing I was thinking about as Kirk was reading this, this note was about that Marshall Rosenberg, nonviolent communication. You ever read that book, nonviolent communication? It's fascinating. He tells a really interesting story about being, he's, he's Jewish. And he's in a chair in a cab with a stranger, I think in some city or whatever in, Um, The Stranger is going on about how awful Jewish people are, like all the stereotypes, the anti-Semitic stereotypes. And he's listening to this, and he's feeling, he's really angry. He's really angry as he listens to this. And, of course, it doesn't match. But he listens to the guy and is basically reflective. Like, oh, so your experience is that blah, 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 you know, whatever. And after listening to that guy for about five minutes, he says, That's not been my experience of Jewish people. I've had a different experience, and he described it a little bit. And the guy was receptive. Um, And I think the reason that worked, though, it is in some ways harder, is because he simply refused to fight. And that's his whole thing, nonviolent communication. I don't read self-help books. I read that one. That was a good one. Uh, So Marshall Rosenberg, nonviolent communication, would be, I think, an interesting place to start.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, to expand on what you're saying, Bob, mm-hmm. this is a tough situation for Anonymous mm-hmm. Patron, and yeah, just an awful situation. The, the first thing that I'll say is, you you know, before I answer your, your main question here, Anonymous Patron, is how do I de-escalate? Well, before I answer that question, I'm just going to say you have rights as an employee. You should not have to deal with aggressive customers. You probably don't get paid enough for that. It's probably not part of your job description. It's probably not a fair expectation of that, of that job. You say you're a manager, but that doesn't mean you have to somehow deal essentially with criminals. Or the business should be paying for training or specialists to be on hand. And the thing I just want to tell everyone is just because your boss tells you to do something does not mean you have to do it. Uh, i I've lived that uh, cre- uh, belief for my entire life um, because there are times when your boss will simply just want you to do something because the organization is just trying to you know have the crap roll downhill and they just know that they can just tell they can just you know push it downhill and then eventually someone has to has to do it. When really what this is, is it's an organization-wide problem, and this should not be falling on your shoulders. That'd be like saying if the business somehow did something horribly political and suddenly there was a bunch of picketers outside that were violent, it's somehow your job as a manager to go out there and tell them to go away. That's just ridiculous, and that's essentially what's happening. So de-escalation, empathy is the key. I hear what you're saying. I get what you're telling me. I'm sorry, but this is the policy. I hear what you're saying. I hear you. I hear you that you don't want to wear a mask. Yep. I hear you that you believe it doesn't help. However, that is our policy. And I hear you that you believe that the law states that you are allowed to do this. You're free to leave and take that up with our lawyers. I hear you. I understand what you're saying. I hear what you're saying, that you have a medical condition that means that you can't wear a mask. I, I understand that. It's the store policy. I'm just the manager here, and I just have to do my job. I, yeah, I hear you. That's de-escalation, that you want to just understand what they're saying, and in a non put-downy sort of way. And also don't escalate. And also bring other people in. To help you, you know, who also are trained. And that's the other part of this is like, if you're asking a podcast how to de-escalate, my guess is you have not been trained. <laughs> and you need to be trained. There are people who train on this sort of thing. So there should be training for all the employees so that there can be three designated employees who just stand there and say, we hear you. We understand. We're sorry. We have to No, fellow customer. You don't have to get involved. Just steer clear. If you don't leave within the next 60 seconds, it's policy we're going to call the police. I need to take a break because I'm going to blow a lid. Right on. All right. Back from the break. Let's go into another email. Anonymous upper tier patron wrote in and said, hi, Kirk and Bob. I love the most recent episode, especially the bit about loneliness. I sympathize with the emailer who felt bitter about having to pay someone to listen. However, I just started therapy at 40, and I so wish I could have had him when I was younger. I loved the way Bob put it. You are paying me so I don't have to do something else because I want to be here. As you said, Bob, Uh, Mm -hmm. my therapist said something similar to me, and it means a lot. The other part I loved was the bit about how capitalism makes us lonely. This is something I have been thinking about for a long time. I really think the loss of the village is a huge cause of loneliness. So that was just an email that I thought would be good to read. And if you want to read more about how capitalism in our society today around the world, whether it's capitalism or otherwise, has made us miserable and lonely, you can listen to my episode from last year, uh, number 987 from November 13th. 2019, called Our Modern Life is Making Us Miserable, Interview with Dr. Christopher Ryan, author of Sex at Dawn. Uh, He came into my office here and we talked about his book and very interesting anthropological evidence about different societies around the world. I mean, one of the things that I remember from talking with him about his book was that there's this misconception that uh, tribes are frequently violent with each other and that they're miserable because they don't have iPhones and this kind of thing. And research actually shows the opposite that when you actually study current uh, hunter gatherer societies that they're more democratic, they're le- they're less sexist, they're more happy. They sh- you know, they share more. They don't care about uh, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. Um, there's shared parenting and, and almost like never a sense of loneliness or depression or anxiety is, is very low with people. PTSD is very low and it's hard to study this sort of thing, but it stands to reason because we live in a society now where we can't, uh, be near each other. And with the pandemic, it gets worse. Right. Um, so uh, anyway, listen to that episode. Another email here. Anonymous patron writes in. This question is for you and Bob. While talking with my therapist the other day, she made a comment about learning some things from me. What is something that you have learned from a client or student, and how has it impacted your life? Bob, what do you think?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, you sent me this question yesterday, and immediately what popped to mind is one of the people in my DBT class, uh lovely lovely young woman. Um, One day we were talking about um, response to homelessness and let's see, I had a point. I don't remember what my point was back then, but I said, yeah, I don't, I don't generally give money to homeless people because I think it has the vulnerability of the strong vulnerability of supporting addiction. And I don't want to be a part of that. And she said, well, even if it does, what does it matter? Like maybe that's part of the road to bottom. Then if that's a way to think about it and Um, So why should you get, you know, rigid about that? And I remember disagreeing with her, you know, and then just really thinking about it and thinking about it. And uh, I have totally changed my opinion about that. And I don't know, I actually do give money to homeless people now or other things. Um, um, And I have no idea what someone might do with, the, with w- with money that I give, they might use it for drugs or alcohol, but I don't feel like if they do that that's automatically a bad thing so I think about that all the time I think about her all the time i and i i really well I really love and appreciate that she opened my eyes in that way, even if you share a different point of view um, from me about that i I still really like that um, she um, open my eyes about that well, so that's something I learned from somebody directly yeah but I suppose there's a, a thousand ways that I learn from people indirectly just in watching I see myself in their interactions because uh, I do I do a couple counseling so I see myself in their interactions and I learn a shitload and I get a lot of wake-up calls about um, my behavior and my you know habitual thought processes and the emotions that can run me by watching other people struggle in the same way and oftentimes at the end of the day i'm softer towards
0: colleen because um, i'm awake yeah yeah i that was what i was going to say to this question was watching couples give to each other emotionally Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. even when they're hurt Mm -hmm. and and also how damaging it is to dig in and get rigid and to, to protect yourself and whatever that is you know you just see that alternation alternating for people when um they are in that those modes of destruction and defensiveness which is just so easy to fall into and then when they do the transition it's like oh you know they did that pretty easily <laughs> like uh I asked them to, or, you know, they did it, and um, I could learn from that. Um, But getting back, what was, I think I missed it. What was the thing you learned? What was the concrete thing you learned, if you put it in a sentence?
1: That giving money to homeless people is not a bad thing.
0: Oh, right.
1: And that even if somebody uses it for, uses money for drugs or alcohol, who am I to say that's a bad thing? Who am I? Right. Right. Yeah. 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 That's what she said to me. She said, how do you know it's bad, Bob? Yeah. Why would you think that? And I was like, oh, well, blah, blah. and then I thought about it. And I'm like, yeah, actually I have no idea.
0: Yeah. It's just, well, yeah. it's just the notion that you absorbed from someone. Mm-hmm. And I
1: remember when I absorbed it
0: and it's, it's a convenient absorption because mm-hmm. it makes a complicated matter simple for us. You know, that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Yeah, in terms of other things that I've learned, the first things that popped into my head were uh, a couple students of mine, uh, Christy and and Jessamy, actually listened to the podcast. I I don't know why exactly, but they popped into my mind about things that I've learned from students. And uh, they've actually both been on the podcast before, so Mm. um, you can listen to them. But from Christy, I've learned that how to be strong in the face of adversity – and I know that's, you know, kind of a, like a Whitney Houston song cliche or something, but I watching her persevere and, and really getting to know her story and also just seeing her go through graduate school, uh, have a very, very successful private practice, um, if you're interested in hiring her, Christy Forrester in, in Seattle, um, it's inspiring, truly. Um, and to see her just keep at it and to have a positive attitude and keep scrapping and, and you know, just never giving up and always striving to better the world and to um, help herself. And then with Jessamy, she is someone who is truly humble in a way that I could never be but always wish I could. <laughs> And I've learned a lot from her in that way as well. And as students and as colleagues, we've just had a lot of conversations. And, and um, you know, there there are some students that I become very uh, involved with professionally as, you know, a, when you become a supervisor, it's like you become extremely involved, you know. And so I feel like I, I know them pretty well. But those are things that popped into my head. And there's just so many things. I mean, when for 25 years-ish, I've been a therapist and a professor, and you just think about, like, literally nearly everything I know prob- about the profession and beyond probably came from students and clients, <laughs> you know, in some way, shape, or form. And I just think about how uh, naive or ignorant or inexperienced I was when I started out at the age of 24 and just how much I've learned and you got to think, well, geez, you know, majority of that came from interactions with students and from from clients. But another email here, uh, one more. Anonymous upper tier patron says, I was wondering if you and Bob, because he is fantastic, could talk about victim re-Trump... I I Can I just chime in here for a second, Bob? Yeah, I, just, sure. I, I just have to get this off my chest. So um, we had a little sort of break in the record. We during the break, actually, um, yeah. that we actually got disconnected, and I was trying to reconnect us, and uh, it gave me a chance to check my email for a second. And I checked my email, and I I, I checked my work email at, at Antioch, and I got this email from some YouTube viewer, and they were like extremely abusive to me, um, oh. like the the common things that they say, you know, like you're a fake doctor, mm. you, you know, you are a hypocrite. Mm. You don't know what you're talking about. It was I won't go into the details, but it's it's this it's a common thing happening right now on YouTube where uh there are certain I don't know, like corners of the internet that I sometimes just kind of wade into without knowing that it's a thing. And there's a thing that I'm talking about on YouTube right now that just seems like another reality TV show cast member. But there's a group of people that are rabid, rabid fans of her. And if you say anything – and I'm not even critical of this cast member. I'm like just conceptualizing her the way I would anyone. Um, and I would say I have a ton of compassion for her and, um, and you am know, guessing that there are traumas – in the background anyway I mean it was just one of those emails and it 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 really got to me and it's hard mm. I have that kind of static in my brain right now as my brain is essentially like reeling from the trauma of reading it mm. and I I just have to get that off my chest because I'm having a hard time like concentrating at this point
1: right
0: and I you know I don't want to alarm anyone um, because I don't know, I just don't want to, but, um, I just wish this didn't happen. It really makes this podcast a mixed experience, you know? Yeah. Um, of course there's lots of supportive emails and Yeah. Uh, Or not, of course, but there are. And those are helpful. But I have to say, like, literally, like, I would say if one in a thousand emails are like that, it ruins the whole experience for me. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's like, might as well just not do the whole freaking thing, you know, because it, uh, I don't want to feel this way. Like there's someone no. out there right now who right. took the time to Google me and find my work because I don't publish my work email address. They had they had yeah. to have f- somehow found my work my An- my Antioch University email address, and then just uh, just a total screed that to me doesn't make any sense. Because to me, I'm like, and sometimes I interact with these people. And I'm just like, okay, can you give me a quote of what I said? that you disagree with because Mm. often there's nothing there you know there's nothing that they can actually quote that i said that is wrong or or quote-unquote hypocritical it's just some kind of uh, you know i i could speculate as to what sort of mental problems these people have but there's no Mm. way to know but no but and then I was in the email. There's also like accusations of being a racist mm. against Brazilians, <laughs> which is oh. like, um, how is that a thing? And oh. and anyway, um, it's, bad stuff's easier to believe. What? The bad stuff is
1: easier to believe. What do you mean? You can get a thousand positive emails, and I bet you do. And one negative one can torpedo all that.
0: Yeah, it does.
1: You know, I get it because, well, because I'm human just like you. And at the same time, I notice I feel sad. And I also feel, you know, you're really good at this. I, I, half the reason I do this is just so you and me can have some contact. Actually, three third, three quarters of the reason is so you and me can have some contact because I love you and I like talking with you, but also because I just learned from you. I appreciate your attitude. I appreciate the compassion that you have for your people, both your clients and your listeners and me. And um, um, I'm blessed to sit with you and know you and talk with you. And I'm really sorry. You know, sometimes I wonder how the hell you do it. Because those kinds of emails... um, I don't know that I could. Yeah. But you but you do and I I believe and I think most people that listen to you believe that you're adding something really good.
0: Well, that helps. So. I mean, the the part that helps Bob now mm-hmm. is I don't know. We could be talking about anything, I suppose, and there's something yeah. um grounding about just Emotionally being with you in this moment, you know, Lovely. it's just like, Thanks. well, Bob seems to like me, so hell yes, that's something. <laughs> 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 and you know, people, before you feel like you have to sort of email me about this, um, obviously you don't have to, you're free to, but, um, I get this all the time on some level. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it it really does, you know, this podcast has always been a labor of love. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for the first seven plus years, uh, this whole thing actually cost me money. It was a, you mm-hmm. know, it was a business that didn't make any money <laughs> at all. Mm-hmm. And so obviously I love doing this and uh so it's it's not just this thing i do on the side you know it's something that is really from my heart and when you do something from your heart and then someone just you know takes a crap all over it it um it's particularly hurtful you know mm-hmm. if someone were to i don't know laugh at the way I mow the lawn or something and take a crap on that. I mean, literally, my dogs take craps on it, but it it doesn't get to me. I'm like, I don't know. I don't really care about mowing the lawn. You can criticize Uh that, but there's something about this where I find myself, Mm -hmm. you know, really trying to Mm -hmm. um, exhibit a – well-rounded goodness on some level and to have people like you on the podcast to hmm. spread love and to have someone just, I don't know. Hmm. I mean, I guess... Misread you. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's coming from somewhere and and maybe as I'm coming down from the pain of it, I can see that now. And I know that thats it's always the thing that hmm. some people have traumas that get triggered by some yahoo yammering on youtube like myself and then they uh all those traumas come up and they want to let that person have it and uh i mean i i've done that before to i think a lesser level like there's nothing that gets me more than being stuck in some um customer service you know, bottomless pit, <laughs> you know, like at at the cable company or the phone company or internet company or something. And, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I have completely lost it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I haven't gone, I haven't, you know, called out someone's credentials and called them a racist and a hypocrite and a fake doctor. But, um, but I've, but if, if I had anything to grab onto, I probably would have said something along those lines. So, you know, I can relate. Mm. Uh, I just wish that, um, I just wish people didn't click send. <laughs> or I wish I I just didn't have a public email, I guess, you know, like um, a public way to just have a direct line to me.
1: I think it's an aspect of the loneliness that comes from the way we have become. We as a big old group. Like you were talking before about how folks that live in tribal communities, they tend to be smaller and they're happier and there's no anonymity, well, virtually none. And so this doesn't happen. But with the podcast, or sorry, with um, the internet, there's freedom from anonymity. Uh, People don't have to think about their impact on others, they can just let fly and have no consequence. There's no social consequence because that person's, you know, Um, note to you will just be between you and them and they'll virtually talk about it with nobody or they'll talk about it in some kind of echo chamber of people that support their point of view and, you know, um, um, feed the animosity, if that's the way to put it. Um, But we, we wouldn't happen if we were, if we were smaller and if we were personal Maybe it wouldn't happen if it weren't COVID because maybe they're you know, who knows the the impact of that and the how that's in the background. But nonetheless, um
0: I don't remember what my point was. Well yeah, I mean it, it's an outgrowth of all those things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. And uh thank you to all the listeners who have emailed nice things or commented nice things. It mm-hmm. um it really does help. Honestly, yeah. I mean uh there are, I have two choices before me w- with this sort of thing. I can either completely cut myself off to protect myself from this, <laughs> um which I've done before or and then not have any contact basically with the listeners mm-hmm. or have contact the listeners and have this sort of shit happen <laughs> and so uh. Yeah. And, um, I, I guess, I guess another part of it, if I was just in closing, Mm -hmm. is to learn from Jessamy and her ultra hum humility. You know, if she had this happen to her, she would just be like, huh, well, I guess I pissed that person off and um and uh i'm not perfect and i i guess that's okay someone hates me now i did my best but okay sorry for for that cuz i think part of the pain for me is holding on to this notion that I can achieve a uh, total satisfaction with my product. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not a humble notion. And that feels better, too, to just say to myself. And I know some listeners are like, well, duh, Kirk. I mean, there's, you're literally listened to by thousands of people. Um, there's a small percentage that are just going to absolutely hate you for all sorts of reasons. Um just because that's just any content provider. Every, literally every content provider is hated by a percentage of people and and then a percentage of them email. And so
1: everybody in the world is a content provider of some kind or other. Maybe not on the internet, maybe not in a podcast, but in their own community
0: and they're not loved universally. Right. And Keep and at I, it, Yeah, and I've always had this, I don't know, perfectionism notion yeah. that I can actually be liked by everyone around me, you know, or at least not hated, you know, just like Mm -hmm. that. That's kind of my ideal. It's like no one thinks Mm -hmm. about me at all, really. (laughs) I'm just Mm -hmm. this invisible coworker that they just see every once in a while. Um, And uh, so I guess to wrap it all in of, of like, Well, if I can learn. And then, of course, I can learn from Christy. I mean, she (laughs) persevered through much more than this and still does. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, she currently is dealing with hostility at times in her life and uh, just horrible in-person hostility. She has neighbors that are um, not very nice people. I hope she doesn't mind me talking about that. But um, Mm -hmm. I can certainly... Uh, learn from her as well and say, well, some people have issues and they get real aggressive and all sorts of stuff comes out of their mouth or on the keyboard. And I don't have to take it personally, (laughs) you know.
1: My dad and I used to go to this donut shop when he'd drive me to work when I was a kid. And on the wall of the donut shop was a like a little poster. And it said, everybody that comes here makes us happy. Some when they arrive and some when they leave. <laughs> I think
0: that's a some when they leave kind of email you just got. Yeah. I wonder if it's also like part of my Swedish, Japanese, West Coast thing. If if I grew up in, where you grew up in <laughs> Philly, if I would be more accustomed you know, some some one of my colleagues at Antioch, Anthony, he was telling me about he's from that area too, and he was talking mm-hmm. about how he likes it in Seattle because everyone's really nice. And he says that in in Philly, every in South Jersey, like everyone's mean. Um and they they sort of uh, mask it with this notion that they're blunt and honest, but it's actually just like flat out, just mean mm. at times. And um you know That's what he was saying, so I don't know, Mm -hmm. but maybe I would uh, feel more of a thicker skin because, in my Japanese, Swedish, Seattle life, you know, that kind of hostility is not even close to anything that I experience. And we don't even honk at people when they deserve it in Seattle, it's like a (laughs) super. It's like a massive aggression to honk at someone. Um, you, you know, like someone had better have done something horribly wrong, it, and then you're you're driving around in Manhattan, and it's just like you honk at someone just to just to say like, hey, I see you in front of me, you know, hey, there's a car in front of me, honk, um, or hey, we're all sitting. I literally, it was rush hour traffic in Manhattan the last time I was there, uh-huh. and it was a standstill in. in lower Manhattan and the cars they're not moving and everyone's trying because it's there's all these other cars trying to get in right but nothing's moving good luck and I I would venture to say at any given time a third of the cars were honking I'm like (laughs) what do you think is going to happen oh Mm. they honked Uh, now I didn't know they were behind I didn't know that person was behind me so Let's get moving cuz that person just alerted us that we need to get moving now. So, mm-hmm. let's let's get moving. And uh, <laughs> my Seattle sensibilities were really challenged anyway. Uh, I'll get better and um but uh I guess, you know, if I'm going to relate this to a helpful statement would be everyone out there On some level, I'm guessing you're being hurt by somebody, and it's probably unfair. And I'm with you in this moment. We are together. (laughs) And it's unfair. Mm -hmm. And wouldn't it be nice if it didn't happen? And... It's going to happen again, and when it does, it's going to hurt, mm-hmm. and none of us are perfect, and Do we're almost together. <laughs> that's true.
1: Do you want to remember that um, there's every reason to believe that what this person wrote to you says more about them than you? Do you want to remember that you are not what you're called?
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, if they were verbalizing that to my face within mm-hmm. half a sentence, I'd be like, whoa. Uh huh. <laughs> like, you know somehow when it's written in an email you're like it seems more rational or something when Mm, it it gets through yeah i'm guessing if i heard them talk it everyone around us would be like oh okay all right you know good to know thank you you know um yeah yeah anyway i'm tended to read it on the air should i read it the email would it help
1: I don't know. Let's find out if it helps,
0: and then we'll know. Okay.
1: <laughs> so this is an experiment. Yeah. Which, which, by the way, we get to abandon at any time.
0: Yeah, it's short. Okay. So, All right. So, f- for those who don't know, I do these reaction videos to this TV show, and um, there's this one couple, uh, Larissa and Colt. And so this person writes in, so you insist on, so you insist on saying, it's so over hey, Doctor Honda, so. That's Mm -hmm. It starts off good. So you insist on saying Larissa's as – you insist on saying Larissa's as she would want, quote-unquote, as she would want. I I don't even know what that means. Mm -hmm. Uh, Parentheses, because you are an expert in Portuguese and Brazilian language customs, (laughs) Uh, end of uh, parentheses. But Mm -hmm. you can't be bothered to say – Azan's name correctly so that's a different couple Uh, what a hypocrite you are you're just you're just a people pleasing fake liberal fake doctor as far as I know psychology is not medicine and never will be Hmm. uh, end of parentheses you try so hard to be Japanese yet you were raised in America hypocrite Okay. Oh, nice. Actually, when I read that out loud, that is helpful, because that is a jumbled mess. Like, what is the accusation there? <laughs> um, I, I can't quite follow it. Yeah. yeah. So you insist on saying Ladisa's as she would want, because you are an expert on Portuguese and Brazilian language customs. But you can't be bothered to say Azan's. So there's this other uh, cast member. So there's... Now I'm just kind of rambling, but so there's these two uh, individuals that aren't from the United States, and one of them, her name looks like Larissa, but she Mm -hmm. pronounces it, because she's from Brazil, as Larissa, Mm -hmm. and I've heard Mm -hmm. from a number of Brazilians who have said that I pronounce it correctly, and they're actually quite um, happy with me, because most people Mm -hmm. say Larissa, including the... Colt or Larissa's husband, Colt, will Mm -hmm. pronounce it Larissa when she pronounces Mm -hmm, it Larissa. mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. like, how hard is it to pronounce it the way they pronounce it? And and I have this experience with a lot of people, people like Umberto, you know? Like, if you pronounce it like an American, it's Humberto. (laughs) But, (laughs) you know, how about we not do that, you know? So it's not hard, you know? I I have uh, uh, friends from Mexico who, you know I uh, like I have one friend, um uh well anyway, the point is is that there's another guy and his name is uh they keep pronouncing his name Azan. The Americans say Azan, but I kept saying Azan because it looked like Azan to me and I thought that's how he pronounced it and I'm pretty sure that's the way his family pronounces it. And someone wrote into me from that area saying that I was pronouncing it basically correctly and that and that it's definitely better than asin. Um, and again, you know, it's his fiancée is calling him um, asin. <laughs> anyway, so uh, let's see. So, so this person is saying that, uh, oh, on saying Larissa's name as – oh, I think she left out a word. So you insist on saying Larissa's name as she would want, okay, because you are an expert on Portuguese and Brazilian language customs. No. Mm-hmm. I'm literally just pronouncing it the way she pronounces it. She says, my name is Larissa. I'm not an expert on Brazilian customs, but I am an expert on the way Larissa pronounces her name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, but you can't be bothered to say Azan's name correctly. Well, oh. I'm tr- I'm giving it my best to say yeah. it. I think it's how his family pronounces it. Um yeah. what a hypocrite you are. Okay. Mm. So in th- so in this person's world, let's say that I I was uh, accidentally uh he, his name is Azan and I'm saying Azan. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a mistake that I think is reasonable. <laughs> uh, and a hypocrite. Okay, so so let's analyze that. Like somehow I'm purposely mispronouncing one of their names. Like you can't be a hypocrite if it's an accident, right? Anyway, I, I would think yeah. Um, you're just a people pleasing fake liberal. Okay, so this person must be like some kind of anti-liberal. <laughs> Uh, fake doctor. As far as I know, psychology is not a medicine and never will be. Uh, correct. Okay. It is not. Yeah, a, well, it's not a medicine <laughs> um, are you trying to make it a medicine. Yeah. And newsflash. Doctorates are given to people from various disciplines, not just medicine. In fact, I would say of all the people who are given a doctorate of small percentage work in medicine. You have doctorates yeah. in anthropology doctorates in feminism doctorates in uh how to be a hypocrite i'm guessing anyway um so anyway you're just a, you're just a people-pleasing fake liberal fake doctor you know what i'll take that i'll t- i'll yeah. i'll wear that pr- with pr- i'm a i am absolutely a people-pleasing person mm-hmm. uh i don't know how you would say i'm a fake liberal i don't even know what that means and a fake doctor um, as far as I know, psychology is not a medicine. Um, hmm. You try so hard to be Japanese. I try so hard to be. Ja- Do I try hard to be Japanese, Bob? Is that I a think thing? It just sort of happens. <laughs> it just comes out of your natural. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yet you are raised in America, uh, mm-hmm. hypocrite. Okay, what's huh. that? What's the accusation there? Um, you know, uh, I mean. I I mean, the nuance there is a little, uh, little true in that uh, I am fourth generation American. And so on my Mm -hmm. Japanese side and something like, I don't know, 40th generation on my white side. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, okay. uh, Yeah, I'm absolutely. When I go to Japan, I don't fit in. When I go to America, Mm -hmm. I fit in. (laughs) So, Are you fake Swedish? Yeah, am I fake Swedish? Um, So... Uh yeah um if a japanese person met me and when they do meet me they don't look at me as like oh that guy's that guy's a japanese guy no they they like that's an american guy sure. um because my japanese american dad is was born and raised my japanese american grandparents were born and raised sure. so i am so i get it but anyway the accusation is just kind of weird um it seems like one of those things that some soapbox that
1: white people get up on about folks who are non-white but white people are all we're all newbies
0: yeah i mean it 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 definitely has some kind of bulldozer behind this email right that yeah is is some kind of ongoing political fight that this person um is having.
1: clearly they're talking about a lot more than you yeah, like there's a lot more on their mind than than you. You're like the the ninety, the little bit of the iceberg above the surface, and then they got like ninety percent below, axe to grind about this, that, or the other. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, where where are they at? Your fake Japanese? <laughs>
0: well, that was the that was that was it. So, oh, that's it. Yeah, that's the end. Yeah. So the entirety is oh. hot. Hey, Doctor Hana, I'm guessing this person watched maybe one of the videos because, yeah, in one video, I. Of the literally uh, hundreds of reaction videos I've made this year, um, I talk about Larissa and Azan and the fact that I'm Japanese and that I no one actually pronounces my name correctly. Actually, in, and I've stopped pronouncing my name correctly. My last name is Honda. It's not Honda. In fact, in oh. you know the the Honda car. You know how when you hear. Um, uh-huh. People in Canada, they say Nike, I think they say Nike, or they'll say Mazda instead of Mazda. Um, There are just these cultural pronunciations that sort of propagate. And um, as a kid, to the outside world, we always said Honda, but to our inside family world, we always said Honda. Um, And, you know, there are certain words like it's not futon, it's futon, it's not udon Uh it's udon (laughs) you know there's certain words you know it's it's not karaoke it's karaoke it's not karate it's karate and so there's certain words that you we just pronounce in that way and Mm -hmm. um but i've i've just started saying honda because it's just easier that way and 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 i i don't lament it but i think i talked about that briefly in one video so i'm guessing they just saw that one video Uh, and somehow uh it triggered them and That's and and or something. well, and I wonder if they don't like, um, Larissa and they don't like mm-hmm. the fact that I'm trying to pronounce her name. And I don't know, but anyway, I just want to read this whole thing again, just to kind of give the. Sure. And in the break, when I looked at this, I I just kind of glanced over it, and it triggered me. Sure. And so I I think it's been therapeutic to just really kind of rub my nose in this and go, oh, it's not so bad, you mm. know. Uh, hey, Dr. Art, so you insist on, on saying Ladisa's name as she would want because you were an expert in Portuguese and Brazilian language customs, but you can't be bothered to say Azan's name correctly. Again, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. I'm just giving it my best guess. What a hypocrite you are. You're just a people-pleasing fake liberal fake doctor. As far as I know, psychology is not a medicine and never will be. You try so hard to be Japanese, yet you were raised in America. Hypocrite. So when you read it like that, it's like – that's not so bad because it, it's just it doesn't really um, hit me in any sort of way because uh, I don't know uh, even if they were right I'd be like okay you know what um, I I made a mistake and I guess I could have done a little bit more investigation to make sure I was pronouncing everyone's name right and you know what I didn't um, and that is bad <laughs> you know <laughs> And uh, I guess that might make me a hypocrite because I will criticize other people for pronouncing other people's names wrong. You know? Mm. Um, okay. Uh, there's if there's a, some truth to that, you know what? That's like criticizing me about my lawn. Um, I, I can take it. <laughs> Being a hypocrite about that, I can uh, I can live with. I don't agree, but um, but if it were true, that would be okay. So
1: This email's kind of flailing, yeah. like a disorganized tantrum.
0: Yeah, I was going to record two episodes of you today, but uh, we don't have time, so let's just power through some more emails. What do you say, Bob? Right on. Upper yeah. Tier uh, patron Anonymous writes in, I was wondering if you and Bob, because he's so fantastic could talk about victim re-traumatization. I was sexually abused over eight years by a sibling, and I am looking to report this to the police because I am scared that he will reoffend. I have found that more than the shame, it is the fear of re-traumatization that has kept me from coming forward at this point. I haven't heard anyone talk about this before, so I'd like to hear your input. Also, because... Of the podcast, I am now in therapy for the first time in my life. Thank you, Dr. Kirk and Bob! So, Bob, what do you think? Uh, this person was sexually abused over eight years ago by a sibling and is worried about re-traumatization, but is thinking about reporting because they don't want the sibling to reoffend. What do you think, Bob?
1: Lots of uh, moving parts here. First off, um, right, if you report it, you're going to have to, I I don't know how this really works, but I'm imagining that you're going to tell the story of what happened to you, and you're going to be telling it in an um, environment where you could get attacked by, say, your brother or by some lawyer or whatever, right? Or maybe a cop who's disbelieving or whatever. And um, it's not, there's no assurance that telling it won't um, have blowback, and it might, whereas when you tell the story in therapy, I'm presuming that you found a good one and that they know what they're doing and that that person hears it and is safe and doesn't attack you and doesn't, you know, disbelieve you or undermine you or um, shame you or whatever. Right. The the thing about PTSD is it's a um, a problem with um, memory in that memories feel real. Memories feel like it's happening again. And so I'm guessing that there's two things here. One is, yeah, you might get this kind of um, pushback, uh, aggressive pushback from somebody in that whole system of people that you end up talking to, cop or, or lawyer or your brother even, um, or perhaps other family members if if they're unsupportive. Um, or, you know, for whatever reason, either they are embarrassed or they their loyalty gets split or who knows what, right? But yeah there's always there is that possibility and that could be really hard um so i think you need support like who's your peeps including your therapist who else is around you that's going to remind you like like with kirk's letter here you know it has this impact on him but we're kind of all sort of gather around him at least i hope so and um holding on him and reminding him of who he really is not who he's told he is um i i want to make sure that um if you're gonna if you're gonna carry it forward for very understandable reasons that you have support around you when you do. And I also had the thought that reliving the thing in therapy could make it easier in that um, what happens with good therapy for trauma is that I go through the memory. It's like, forgive this. I don't mean to be, uh, I don't mean this in any kind of offensive way, but if Kirk tells me a joke, the first time he tells it to me, maybe I laugh. The hundredth time he tells it to me, it's just boring. Like, I know where this is going. (laughs) Same thing with a horror movie. You watch it the first time, maybe it scares the crap out of you. By the hundredth time, you're like, oh, yeah, here's the part where her head spins around and she spits up green pea soup. And, you know, right. Oh, yep, yep. Here's that part where the priest, blah, 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 blah. Right, whatever. So that's the idea is that good trauma therapy, in essence, what it does is it makes, it takes a lot of the power out of the memory so that... Maybe what you're left with is sadness. Maybe what you're left with is, you know, outrage for being horribly mistreated by, you know, someone who's supposed to, um, at the very least, be benign, but to hopefully be a source of comfort and support, you know, family member. Um, maybe you're left with that, but it, the memory itself no longer frightens you. It might be easier to talk to a lawyer or, or a cop or whoever it is that, you know, is likely to come back at you or come back you with some kind of attack or whatever. Once the memory is not so provocative, I don't know if that's the right order with which to do things. I'm imagining though, that that could be a potential outcome of, um, um, treating the PTSD before you disclose.
0: That's yeah. Like, that's all I can. Yeah. That's great. I, I can't really add anything to that aside from, uh, just highlighting to talk with your therapist about it and, and, mm-hmm. Learn how to um, know your distress and manage your distress mm. because as you go into – if you decide, which of course mm-hmm. you don't have to, mm-hmm. to make a report, um, you might be involved in a lot of ongoing incursions on your feelings of safety and you need to have a very robust way of managing that ongoing Uh, But it can be done. And for some people, not always, it can be very therapeutic to get that power. Um, Let's read another email here. Uh, Upper-tier patron Lisa from Pennsylvania. She writes in, this message is for you and Bob. I'm 22 years old and have been in therapy since I was 14 for anxiety, depression, and PTSD. I started seeing a new therapist in March, and I feel incredibly connected to her. I had no idea that I had so many attachment wounds to heal until I started listening to your podcast. It finally made so much sense that therapy didn't do anything for me for years because we were never addressing the underlying issues. Your podcast Mm. has helped me to have uncomfortable and difficult conversations with my therapist, and it's helped me to feel more trust and safety than I ever imagined possible. I can't thank you both enough for your insight, vulnerability, and honesty. There were so many moments while listening to the podcast where I would have such intense emotional reactions to things that Bob shares, moments where I just wanted to yell yes at my phone. It's mind-blowing and surreal that he can make me feel just as heard and seen as my therapist does, and we've never even met, nor do either of you know that I exist. Uh, I know there are plenty of listeners out there just like myself, but I felt compelled to share how much of an impact your words have benefited my mental health therapeutic relationship and happiness in general. End of email thoughts, Bob. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's gratifying. Uh, Gratifying. That's a stupid word. Life Um, affirming. um,
1: I'm deeply moved by what you're saying. Yeah. And I also relate to it because I was in therapy for a long time before um, I started talking about the right stuff and the right stuff is scary as hell. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the reason Thank why. Yeah, the reason why I wanted to read this email was to, um, I don't know, just compliment you, Bob, but also Thank to um, highlight for everyone out there that the stuff that we talk about uh, is real, and that um, you know, there's this is confirmation of something that we've experienced ourselves in therapy, and that we've experienced mm-hmm. as clinicians that when you focus on the true uh, crux of the matter which is corrective experiences of vulnerability and being taken care of by your therapist only then are you perhaps really addressing the underlying healing that you need that you deserve to get such that you can feel so much better Um, I want to talk about a dream I had what do you you think about that Bob? yeah let's hear it Um, so I had this dream a long time ago and I just quickly wrote it all down I was in a large class, and I thought it was just like so something I'd read on the podcast. I was in a large class on couple therapy. I was a student. A real couple was there for us to practice with. The wife had divorced a man and remarried, so it was the wife and this second husband. The ex-husband was abusive and bitter about the divorce. A few therapists tried to help by talking with the woman alone. No one was getting very far with her. But the class seemed to think the therapists were doing their best, um, and I volunteered to give it a shot. I told a friend and a colleague, actually one of my um, coworkers, I told her that I was confident that I could help her, help them. She laughed at me and said that I was being very arrogant. Um, I told her... I told her that when you do something for 25 years, you have the opportunity to gain a lot of confidence. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I went to the front of the class and asked the couple and the ex-husband to join the session. Mm. The class seemed scared to involve the couple and especially the ex-husband. I told the clients that scary things might happen, but I was there to help. Mm. The angry ex-husband seemed comforted, but apprehensive. I started the session and things were going well. Then a marching band appeared and made it very hard for everyone to hear each other. And the marching band got so loud that the audience couldn't hear the session at all. The clients couldn't hear each other. I couldn't hear them. And I tried to power through the noise, but ultimately it all fell apart and I failed. (laughs) I find that fascinating. Yeah, I'm even arrogant in my dreams. That that's that's the lesson there. That's not what I took from it. Just so <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, but it does, you know, resonate with my waking life um, a little bit in that I am extremely confident in my ability to help couples. <laughs> like, right on. like, like, uh, uh, I, I mean, I, I'm not confident, like. I'm going to fix them or something right away. But I am very much at home with couples that are fighting terribly or are having troubles with their sex lives or have thinking about divorce or they've been, you know, they've had infidelity. Like it is so comfortable after 25 years. And I think that's what it had to do with was because I, I, and working with so many novice therapists and couples therapy is very much of a challenge for them. You know, there, there's just a lot at stake and there it's, it's a lot more complicated. There's triangulation, a, a lot higher counter transference. And, and I see them just desperately trying to do a good job. And all of them that I'm working with really want to specialize in couples. So it's not just like they're being forced to work with couples, you know, they, they really want to do a good job. And so I think that my dream reflected that. <laughs> and then it's like, what's the marching band thing? You know, like what, what was that, you know, some kind of interference or something getting in the way.
1: It's an obstacle that's outside you. Yeah. That's how I read it. Yeah. By the way, couple counseling, hardest thing I ever learned. Yeah. Tried to learn, made any effort to learn.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it's inspirational for those of you out there who are not marriage and family therapists. Bob is a counselor, mental health counselor, which is a separate profession. And he, late in his career, said, you know what? I want to specialize in couples. I'm going to get the training. I'm going to get the supervision. I'm going to start working with with couples. He set his mind to it. And after 10-plus years or something, he now is a specialist and is doing fantastic work. And so – Uh, You, as a clinician out there, can um, pursue that. It's just a matter of going through the steps. And please go through the steps. Hmm. Um, Last email here before closing out. Uh, This person identifies themselves as confused psych grad. I was hoping you could discuss the difference between dissociation and zoning out. I believe I've dissociated a lot throughout my life, especially in very stressful times, but my therapist insists that I'm just zoning out. To me, I feel like it's more than just zoning out. My heart rate picks up, my breathing changes, I don't see myself for anything like an outer, outer body experience, but I genuinely feel detached from myself like a shell, and I kind of black out. P.S., this is my favorite podcast, and Bob is my favorite guest. Smiley face. Wow, thank you. Um, so, this person is saying that they believe they're dissociating based on their observation, what they understand dissociation to be. But their therapist says, Nope, you're just zoning out. Bob, what do you think?
1: Um, well, dissociation is a thing that all humans develop. I, as I understand it, around age five and that we all do it. Um, but dissociation is a pretty, um, general term. Daydreaming is dissociation. Night dreaming is dissociation. um, um numbing out blanking out depersonalization derealization these are all ways to describe um more perhaps more specific ways to describe the same general phenomenon which is that i psychologically or mentally leave the present moment or emotionally leave the present moment i, I don't i guess that's an okay way to put it so when your therapist says you're just zoning out it sounds like your complaint about that is is that um While on the one hand, it's sort of true. On the other hand, it dismisses the significance of the zoning out to you. And that's what you want your therapist to pay attention to, which I say, you know, keep at it, like say, hey, you know, I don't think you're paying attention, like bring it up. Because it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, yes or no and dissociation. But it sounds like also what you're saying is you're frustrated with your therapist and you guys
0: are in a tug of war. Right, exactly. I would talk with your clinician about it. Uh, and I would tell your therapist that you don't agree with their take on it. And that's, that's a, you know, you've essentially had a relationship rupture about this issue and you deserve to have that repaired. Um, and you know, at the very least you deserve to have your therapist say, oh, I'm sorry for, you know, discounting what you're saying. And at best you have your, you deserve to have your therapist really take the time with you to collaboratively conceptualize what you're going through and put it into a, a term that feels good to you. Um, sounds like zoning out or just zoning out doesn't feel good to you. You know, there are other ways mm-hmm. of saying it. And I also wouldn't worry about the label um, because, you know, if we call it zoning out or association, you know, is it a problem for you? Uh, if it's a problem, then address it. You know, mm-hmm. okay. Let's say he, you know, your therapist calls it zoning out. Well, mm-hmm. it sounds like you don't like it, so you deserve to have it being addressed in therapy. If it's not, and you're just sort of debating as to what to label it, then you know, uh, maybe just it's just a matter of understanding each other. in In terms of your description, you're saying your heart rate picks up, your breathing changes, um, you genuinely feel detached from yourself, like a shell. And you kind of black out. There's a lot of possibilities as to what that could be. Dissociation is a very complicated thing. At the very least, it sounds like you're having some kind of reaction um, to something. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, for me, zoning out could be a horrible thing. So uh, you deserve to have that addressed in the way that you want to have that addressed. You know, just, just make sure that you communicate very clearly to your therapist. of just like, well, okay, you call it zoning out. I call it dissociation. But still, I don't like it. Can we add that to the list of things that we explore and work on? You deserve to have that done. By the way, uh, Bob, whenever I think about depersonalization, mm-hmm. I always think about your house in West Seattle when I first met you.
1: Oh, no kidding.
0: I would, of that house. You had a. You were having a party. Maybe it was a moving out party. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. But your your piano was there. That eventually I had. Yeah. <laughs> and um, what happened to that piano? Did I give it back to you?
1: Yeah, you gave it back to me, and then I wasn't using it, and we gave it away.
0: You just gave it away. Yeah. Wow. That's a bummer. Um. And so uh, that's a bummer. I mean, you're a piano player. That was your. Th- oh, I was. That was your thing. I mean, you could yeah. play Billy Joel and all sorts of stuff. Oh, yeah. But anyway, it re- it reminds me of being at your house twenty five, yeah. literally twenty five years ago, oh. and you 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 had that. It was kind of a nice house. It was like on a hill. You could maybe even see the sound from there. Oh,
1: gorgeous view of the. Yeah,
0: sun. that house yeah. must be like two million dollars right now. Oh, exactly. Yeah, and you know what?
1: My my rent was two fifty a month. Yeah,
0: I mean. <sighs> yeah. I think about uh, all uh-huh. sorts of things. Like I, uh-huh. I w- was in the market to buy a condo uh, around then, and there was a condo on Queen Anne that had a full 180-degree you know, view of Lake Union and the Space Needle and U District. And it was $123,000, and I was like, that's way too much money. I can't afford that because at the time that was. It was very expensive, and I was like, I can't. Now it's like that condo is literally probably like a million and a half or something anyway. Yeah. Point is, is that we're old and inflation happens, Um, but the other point is that um, uh, I I can't remember why depersonalization reminds me of that party because I can't remember – because we were in graduate school at the time, so I can't remember if I was talking about depersonalization with someone or you had a friend that experienced depersonalization and was talking with me about it. Does that ring a bell? I don't remember this. No, not at all. So so I th- it might have been just me talking about it. But anyway. Um, but yeah, whenever I read about depersonalization, that it's, do you have memories like that where it just sort of pops in your head this habitual little scene uh-huh. that uh-huh. has that you're just like, that was the first time I must have been talking about that one thing or the yeah. first time I heard that song or whatever that is? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I have this one memory from Lake Chelan with my friends being at this restaurant, and I have no idea why that. It's just a little scene that pops into my head, and it. I don't remember what. I think my brain – it's just one of those memories that my brain has just said – it's like a hiccup, you know, like where you get hiccups sometimes. I think my brain just goes like, you know, random scene from 1998. You know,
1: yeah. somehow it's stuck in its circuits and it gets queued up by who knows what. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. There wasn't anything special about the moment. It just, uh-huh. anyway. Yeah. All right, everyone out there. It's just been a weird roller coaster for me this episode. <laughs> I started out like. Oh, I get a talk with Bob, and then we get disconnected, and I read that stupid email, and then, you know, then I read it, and then I was, oh, it's not so bad, and now I'm kind of, like, in post-trauma kind of space or something, but everyone out there, please take care of yourself, because... Kirk deserves it, too.